Hey there. My name is Aubrey Henderson. I'm a self-worth coach and professional calm in the chaos. I believe that when you're feeling stuck in your life and you can't decide on the next right step, that getting some perspective or a pep talk from someone outside of your shoes can be an absolute game changer. This podcast is that pep talk. Every week, I'll share my responses to listener questions, real life coaching sessions, and interviews about topics that you can connect with and learn from. All things that will help you to reconnect with your own self-worth and inner goodness and vision for your life so you can feel great and get shit done. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode. So I am very excited to have everyone's favorite podcast guest with me today. Hey, hey. <laughs> I really mean that. You're making a face at me like I'm like making that up, but I, I really mean it. People like when I have you on the podcast. It's my wife, Laura. Hi, everybody. If you couldn't tell from the topic um, that we're going to talk about today, which is by popular request, more foster care questions. So, you know, folks ask me about foster care all the time, um, whether I'm specifically requesting questions or content requests for the podcast or just in general when I post about our life as foster parents. Um, you know, folks have a lot of questions. So I have picked out a couple of those for us to talk about today as a continuation of the previous episode we did on foster care where we talked a lot more in that one about kind of like the process for becoming foster parents and the considerations there. These questions are kind of more about um, a current reality uh, of being a foster parent and and what it's like in the day-to-day. So how does that sound to you? Great. Let's do it. Amazing. So uh, this first question is asking about a recent transition for us. So what's it like having three kids? How's the transition going? We're outnumbered. <laughs> we are officially outnumbered. I I hear um, our children are supposed to be in bed right now, but I do hear our two boys upstairs like... Chat, chat, chat. They're chatty McChattersons. So, okay. So for folks who, who don't know this, so um, it's as we're recording this, it's the end of March 2020. Um, we became foster parents in July 2018, and since then, we um, have had two kiddos in our home, a brother and sister um, pair, and it's just been those two kids the whole time. Um, they are now five and six. Um, our little lady is five, and her big brother is six. And so they have been in our home for almost two years now. And uh, just a few months ago, we said yes to a third foster placement who is an eight-year-old boy, and he moved in um, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right before the shutdown. <laughs> right before, and we can't talk about that quite too much because that's another question okay, we're going to so get to, but that's okay. Ourselves. I mean, we can bleed them together. It doesn't really matter, but um, yeah, right as a, just a lot of shit was happening um, right as he moved in. But anyway, so we are now adjusting from having four people in our family, two kids, two grown-ups, to now having three kids. And as Laura has correctly pointed out, we are outnumbered officially. Mm-hmm. And we have double the boy energy, which is really a lot. Oof. And like, I have had friends tell me like, 
yeah, it's like you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time dealing with multiple boys or like having having more than one boy in the house is going to be a lot. And I think I kind of like dismissed that initially as like, oh, that's such a gendered thing to say. And like, that's bullshit and whatever. And like, it is a gendered thing to say. Mm -hmm. And also like, there is something to the reality of having two like male identifying boys who experience, who have a similar gender experience and who also have very similar personalities as it happens to be the case with our, with our two. And so they just are butting heads constantly. And uh-huh. they also, when they're sweet together, are very sweet. And they are really funny and goofy yeah. and silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they fight, it sucks. <laughs> and it's really, it's really obnoxious. And, um, they just both want to be in charge. Yes. In a way that our girl, who's younger than both of them, just is in charge. <laughs> You know? It's so true. And she's not fighting for it. She just, she's competent. Well, and she's, she just is so, she has, and she is also confident as well. She kind of has like the quiet boss energy. Mm -hmm. And. That's right. You go girl. I love her so much. (laughs) I love all of my kids, but um, our little girl is a badass. Anyway. um, So, I mean, transitioning to having three is a lot. And, you know, I actually took, um parental leave from work which I was really really glad to be able to do and so I'm on parental leave right now um but with the intention of like just really focusing on making it a smooth transition because it's a big deal um to kind of add another kid to kind of the emotional soup that is our house and it kind of changes the whole um you know balance and so we kind of have to recalibrate and like figure things out and find a new normal and so that has been a lot and you know he comes in with his own experiences and traumas and triggers and um it you know they preferences food preferences and they push each other's buttons and so it's you know we have to be mindful of that we kind of as the grown-ups have a sense um of what we learned from his caseworkers about like what his history is and everything that we can you know be extra mindful of like what might be hard for him um, and where he's going to need like a little extra support and then also, you know, help our two younger kiddos to like learn how to interact well with him and vice versa, help him learn how to like communicate and interact well with them. And so totally. And we have to let him tell his own story to us too. Totally. We can pre-gather as much information as possible, but nothing is going to be as powerful as earning his trust and letting him feel comfortable enough to just share himself with us. That's right. Which I think sometimes we get glimpses of, um, but will take a long time, really. Yeah. It may never actually happen. Yeah. Because he's been through a lot, and it would be reasonable to just not want to share. Yeah. But through that all, he is he's a very earnest, sweet kid, and he wants connection he Uh desires it and he seeks it out in a way that um I mean is really you know knowing that he's been through a lot and it's the same with our younger two knowing how much they've been through and all the transition that they've been through and the you know um traumatic separation that they've had from adults that they love it it is really beautiful and encouraging to see that they they still are able to and desire connection and still have a level of of trust and 
you know, ability to form those connections. And so, um, attachments. yes, attachments. Exactly. And so it's, that's really been good to see and is encouraging to see him kind of forming those things. Although it was really sweet. Laura said, um, I love you to him. Uh And what was his response? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you were saying, you were saying to me, you love that because it just felt so honest. I love it because it's like acknowledging that that can be true without feeling an obligation to have more of a response than just letting that exist. Totally. You know, and that feels important. Like you can just sit with something. It can just exist and you don't have to reciprocate it. Absolutely. Okay, so the next question is, how is foster care different right now with everything going on? And so... For, I we mean, can't escape. <laughs> so, d- you know, depending on when you're listening to this, I guess, I, tr- I try to be mindful of, like, if someone's listening to this a year from now, they'll, I mean, people will know what was happening in March, but um, this person obviously is referring to the global pandemic that we're experiencing right now and the fact that, um, you know, here in New York, and more broadly, but in New York, it's it's really pretty intense and serious right now. We are on lockdown in our apartment we are leaving as little as possible, and it's only the adults who are really leaving the house, um, and only for like groceries or medicine. And so, um, yeah, we are in a Brooklyn two-bedroom apartment um, with five humans, two large dogs, and a cat. Woohoo! Um, so that part is bananas. I mean, and that's not necessarily really to do with foster care. That's true of any family right now and what they're experiencing. But we're you know, in our apartment, not leaving. We're here all day in a small space trying to tolerate each other. Um, And we've got all the stuff we just mentioned with like kid conflict and kid triggers happening constantly throughout the day when we're also stressed out about what's going on outside of our home, which is scary as hell. And so there's that part. And then in terms of foster care, I mean, What's interesting is that we, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, so right around the time that our third kiddo came in, Mm -hmm. school um, in New York got, was closed. So schools were closed and moved to virtual learning um, until at least late April. And it's looking like that is likely to get extended. Mm -hmm. Um, Would be surprised if it wasn't. And so, you know, Given that, and given that it wasn't safe for kids to go to school, we started to express to our foster agency that we weren't super comfortable with taking the kids on public transit, with taking the kids into the foster agency, which is like big communal space where folks are in like sharing playrooms and all of this stuff. Um, and around that time, right after we started kind of asking those questions and pushing on those things, um, visits were suspended indefinitely, the in-person visits. And, and so, courts are closed. Yes, and before that happened, courts were closed, meaning that like any court dates that were happening are, are getting just totally pushed, um, which with our two little kids, they have both of their parents have an ongoing court case happening and that has a lot of implications for, you know, the their access to their kids and the progress they're making in their in their plans to regain custody of their kids. And so it's a that's a really big deal. It's a huge deal. It has huge implications. Um, you know, we even think for our new kiddo who 
is, um, you know, we are, we're talking with our agency already about adoption and what that could look like. That was something that once he was in our home for three months, we could start the process of adoption, but that may or may not actually be the case given that it's looking like court dates. I think that were happening in April. I think I heard are being rescheduled for June. So I think there's just going to be a huge backlog and like, it's going to be really hard to, to get on the docket, I think. And so, um, all that is to say their visits are suspended indefinitely. Our kids are not having, um, in-person visits with their bio parents or the two little ones are not. Um, our new addition does not have, um, family visits. So it's not a factor for him, but our two little ones have, um, Google duo visits. So like video chat visits, um, you know, the interesting thing about dealing with the agency and whatever is that all of the social workers who work in child welfare are deemed essential. So they are continuing to work. It sounds like the agency is trying to accommodate folks working from home, but, like, we got a call last week from a nurse wanting to do a home visit and, like, see the kids, and we had to say... From, from a, again, just to reiterate, from a nurse. From <laughs> a nurse from a foster care agency... And we had to be like, no, you can't, like, I don't know what other houses you're going to, but, like, we could put you on video, we could do anything else, but, like, please don't come over. <laughs> yeah. And it feels weird, you know, we we like having people over, and we want to be compliant, but we tried to hold firm that we don't want to get sick. I think the worst thing that would happen here... Or to get someone sick coming sick. in. I mean, yeah. that's also the thing that, that's interesting to me and, like, that this is a broader thing, right, of, like, who's deemed essential and, like, how we value those people. I mean, like, I am very... Like, I see how our staff at our foster agency toil and toil and work weekends and work ridiculous hours and, like, I know they are not compensated in a way that adequately reflects the work that they do and they are among these groups of staff that are deemed essential but that we like pay like shit and don't regard highly in our society in general and like blah 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 that's its own whole thing but part of it too for me is like you know and this has been made clear to us that they have to kind of attempt and put doing air quotes but you can't see that this is a podcast Aubrey um they have to attempt to do the visit and it's been made clear to us that we can say like we're not comfortable at this time with you coming into our home Mm -hmm. um the hard thing to remember too though is that like in our home we know that like our home is safe our kids are safe they're taken care of they you know are not being abused like bad things aren't happening but that's not true for every kid in foster care who's involved in child welfare and so also part of those folks being deemed essential is because you know um there's still potential for children to be in unsafe home situations in the midst of a global pandemic. And those kids still deserve to be advocated for and checked in on and all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, but we've been doing, so we've been doing like our check-ins with our social workers with on FaceTime and like the kids have like have to come get on FaceTime and talk to the social worker and you know, all of that stuff. And so I've, the number of like Zoom calls with providers that I'm managing right now for the kids is like, it's kind of funny so um, because we have, they each have their in-school therapist. They each have their outside of school through the foster agency therapist. They each have a speech therapist. They each have, or no, one kiddo has an occupational therapist. They all have their, their regular teacher and their special ed teacher. It's bananas. And it's all 
like video calls, which is really funny to put my five, six and eight year old in front of a computer on a video call and like have them using like the headset with the microphone. (laughs) It's made for some really good Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I, you know, I've been trying to check in with their parents and see how they're doing. And I've had some like very human conversations with with mom and dad um just like you know I I worry about them they have you know kind of their own stuff going on that like makes me feel particularly worried about them and their vulnerabilities to this situation and so in addition to that like not being able to hug your babies I mean I you know make jokes about how we're all like tolerating each other and dealing with each other but at the end of the day, like, we get to put them in bed at night. We get to be with them. We get to know that they're safe. And so I feel really lucky because of that. Totally. But so a lot is different, and yet a lot is the same. Still a million appointments to manage. Still all of those things. Um, so proud of you, babe. Stop. It's not just me. It's mostly you. You interact with the outside. <laughs> well, that's only because you are still working your full-time job. That's true. While we're doing all of this, because you're a freaking superhero. Okay, um, so this last question is kind of more broad, um, but somebody asked, "What's the best part of being a foster parent, and what's the hardest?" Let's talk about the hardest first. Okay. What do you think is the hardest part? I mean, I think there's a lot of ambiguity in terms of like where things are going and how people will emotionally and socially and all those things and I think we've been on a roller coaster of emotions pretty much from day one of our journey and I think that's just the biggest ask that like foster care asks of foster parents is like to roll with it and to be the person who is just there to serve everybody to be the person without an agenda one way or the other, to be the person connecting and holding and loving despite how everybody acts or shows up that day. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And despite, like, what you may want to happen in the long run because you have no power, really, over what will happen in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the hardest thing is seeing, like, systemic failure mm. mm-hmm. and not not necessarily feeling empowered. And you and I talk about this. Like, I, I don't necessarily know that I, and I don't know how you just framed it if you said, like, having not having any power or not having any control. But, like, and I think we kind of disagree about that. Yeah. I think as foster parents there is a lot a lot of power but I think there are some things that like are absolutely not within our power control and things that are kind of like larger scale systemic things that you really see in foster care I think um, just the way that like kids like, and I hate, like, this, I don't know if this phrase feels trite, but, like, fall through the cracks. Like, things just get forgotten about. Yeah. 
if somebody doesn't bring them up. Like we're we're try we're literally working right now to try to get one of our children's social security numbers because like somehow nobody has it yeah. or she doesn't have one or something. So like that's a thing. Or you know, trying to advocate to make sure that a child has the right support that they need in school because if we're not advocating for it nobody's going to Hmm. and I think but I think the flip side of that and it which is the best thing to me is for me kind of the best thing is similar to what you said is the hardest thing which I think what I love about being a foster parent is being in a position to kind of reframe the whole thing to be rooting for everyone and to be on everyone's team I think to me is the most beautiful thing about being a foster parent it is the thing that makes me feel like I'm actually doing something meaningful that matters to somebody Mm. and I think when I started experiencing foster care in that way was the moment that I, I stopped feeling like I was powerless or like I didn't have control and I think was also like uh, like around the same time that I started forging like real connection with our kid's mom in mm-hmm. particular and realizing that like to be advocating for my kids didn't mean that I needed to be fighting anybody else. Yeah. And that even if, you know, I was advocating for our kids and I'm somebody who when I'm, when I feel afraid, I go immediately to anger and to frustration and to like hot, hot rage and seeing that that like wasn't wasn't serving me or serving my kids and how I was advocating for them and seeing the ways that even if I was mad at, at their mom or even if I was frustrated with a decision that she made that being in partnership with her and building trust and rapport with her one like helped to accomplish things differently and to get the kids needs met differently because she was like we were her ally we are her ally. It also just like makes everything feel so much more meaningful to know that you're in this for an entire family. It's not yeah. for the kids at the expense of somebody else. Yeah. And I think that kind of like holistic view of it. And also, I mean, to me, I think just the approach that like I'm working in partnership with people just makes it easier to navigate through stuff that's frustrating than if I approach it like it's me versus everybody, which is my natural posture a lot of the time, as as you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think is the best part? I mean, the kids. Of course. Like, I mean, kids are cute and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that we learn from the kids every day is resilience. Yeah. And, like... You know, we have kids who are young enough that, like, even though they've had negative attachments or whatever, or, like, they've been, had neglect or abuse in different cases, like, to see them be so earnest about still wanting love and connection, mm-hmm. and to see them learn and grow and change how they develop those connections, yeah, and to see them, like take what potential they have and start to run with it to find 
confidence or to overcome, you know, like whatever the story is we got from the social worker to watch where they are six months later. Yeah. Is amazing or to get, you know, and I think they, they're so empathetic, our kids. Yes. And they feel for people and they're paying attention to the details and I just, and they're thankful. Yeah. Um, and like, there's a lot of ways we can complain and we can joke around that they're like little shits and whatever, <laughs> but really they're just kids and they want to play and they want to be loud and they want to eat mac and cheese all day and have 10,000 snacks and, um, they're so easy to love. Yeah. And they're so wonderful. And to just get to lay on a bed and tickle them and watch them be so delighted by that. It's yeah. just beautiful. Or to watch how, like, when one of our kids gets really upset, he, like, hugs our dog. And it just, like, instantly chills him out. Mm-hmm. And to just learn what those, like, little tricks are with them. Yeah. What helps them be regulated. What helps them find their way through. Yeah. Is really beautiful. And I just, you know, they're going to hit puberty and they're going to have their hard times and they might really regress at times or they might end up hating us one day, but which would be in their rights too. I just want to soak up all the small, beautiful moments we can now and just always have like an open hand to them because I think that's what they're going to need most. Seeing how they kind of incorporate those those coping skills that they learn over time and seeing how, you know, they go from being in a place where just like kind of where our newest kiddo is at right now where everything uncomfortable kind of like just really, really hurts. Mm-hmm. And the transition is is painful and that change is painful and watching how even in these last couple of weeks, how he's changing and growing and his ability to like name that and put words to that is incredible. And like the ways that these kids give us this window into what it means to begin to like heal and make meaning from trauma is kind of amazing. And to see something that he does so well is naming his feelings when he's feeling them, mm-hmm. which is something that we just like, we lose touch with as adults. I think some people don't even, don't even do that as kids. I don't know that there was ever a point in time where like, if I, he's been doing this thing where he gets up close to our dog with long hair and get, we'll get hair in his mouth and we'll say, AJ, I feel disgust. And I'm like, why do you feel disgust? Because I have dog hair in my mouth. Or like, I, f- I feel frustrated, or I feel angry, or I feel nervous. And like, to be able to, and that's, a, I mean, that's a skill that he's learned, but to be able to name that feeling in a way that like demystifies it, or in a way that like claims ownership and empowerment over it, mm-hmm. I think is really amazing. And it's a gift to us, because it's also, I mean, there are things that they model for us, I would say. Oh, yeah. That... I mean, definitely for me, that I learn and pick up from them. And that is always a good thing. Always. It's humbling. 
really and truly. I mean, if anything, being being a foster parent or a parent in general is nothing if not absolutely humbling. Mm Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty rad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.